Welcome to the very first episode of Can He Do That? Here, we'll tackle all the ways that Donald Trump's presidency will be unlike anything we've seen before. Or will it? Here's how this show is going to work. We'll take on a new topic each week, things like whether a president has to live at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue to whether it's legal to place a gag order on federal agencies. We'll guide you through exactly where Trump is charting a new course, where he's not, and what it all means for America. I'm your host, Allison Michaels, and each week we'll have a reporter here to guide us through the topic. This week, we're looking at whether or not Donald Trump can essentially just tweet whatever he wants. Can he continue to use Twitter to do things like make policy statements and support businesses the way he did as president-elect? And what about the things we saw candidate Trump do, like tweet insults to his opponents? I've got our White House reporter, Abby Phillip, here to help us answer some of these questions. Thanks for joining us, Abby. Thanks for having me. So let's just dive right in with the basics. Why do we care about Trump's Twitter account? Well, Donald Trump is unique in that he may be the first American president to actually personally use his Twitter account. That may give his messages on social media a unique amount of weight. But do Trump's tweets have the full backing of the federal government behind it? Can he make policy on Twitter? These are things that I think the whole country and even the world are eager to know. But how has the use of Twitter changed since he actually took office as president? It seemed like at first, for a few days there at least, some of his tweets were a little bit more of what you might expect from a president. But clearly over the past few days, we we see that things really have seemed to change. It started on the day after inauguration when he took on the women's marchers. He asked, do these people even vote? And he questioned the celebrities who were participating in the in the marches. And then later in the week, he talked a little bit about a claim, a false claim that he has been making, that there was rampant voter fraud in the presidential election. And he suggested that there might be an investigation into people who voted illegally. So one question, quick question I have about that is, if he tweets something like this, you know, calling for an investigation, are there actual steps that have to be taken as a result of his tweet? Well, that's something that we're still trying to figure out. One of the problems is that Donald Trump and his administration don't usually follow through on his tweets immediately. Sometimes it takes days uh, to figure out exactly what he meant and what they're going to do about it. But you see another thing happening, which is that the rest of the political world reacts almost instantaneously. Members of Congress on the Hill, Democrats, they react to Donald Trump's tweets because the words of the president, whether they're on Twitter or elsewhere, have a lot of weight. Interesting. So what else have we seen him tweet recently? He talks a little bit about violence in Chicago, and he suggested that he might send federal authorities in to start dealing with what he called, quote, carnage. Yeah. So there were all of those tweets and there have even been tweets since then. Trump tweeted on Thursday morning that Chelsea Manning was a traitor. And Chelsea Manning, if you don't remember, is the soldier who released classified information to to WikiLeaks. And even more recently than that, he tweeted that if Mexico is unwilling to pay for the wall, they should cancel an upcoming meeting with Trump and the Mexican president. And shortly thereafter, that actually led to the Mexican president canceling that meeting. And we've seen all of this in his first week in office. One question, though, is have we ever seen anything similar to it in presidential history? Well, what is fairly common is the idea that presidents have tried to bypass the traditional media and reach out directly to the people. My friend. 
I want to talk for a few minutes with the people of the United States about banking. To talk with the comparatively few who understand the mechanics of banking, but more particularly with the overwhelming majority of you who use banks for the making of deposits and the drawing of checks. Of course, what you just heard there was FDR's iconic first fireside chat. Yeah, that's the first thing that came to my mind, but I wanted to know more. So I talked to professor and author David Greenberg. David wrote Republic of Spin, an inside history of the American presidency. And he's a professor of history and journalism and media studies at Rutgers University. I think presidents, whenever new media have arrived on the scene, new new technologies, there's been an effort that often takes some time to figure out how to make best use of it. So uh, you mentioned FDR and radio. You know, several years before him, Calvin Coolidge as president really was the first radio pioneer. He gave the first inaugural address on radio, gave the first nomination acceptance address on radio, uh, State of the Union address he delivered via radio. But all he really did in those cases was to give the speech that he had planned to give anyway and have uh, a microphone and a wire hooked up so that he could reach all parts of the country. That was certainly groundbreaking, but it was very different from what FDR did, who thought about how a radio address could be maximally effective. And so when he gave his fireside chats, he made them short. He used different language. It was more colloquial, more informal, as though he was talking to people sitting in their living rooms. Uh, It was really conceived from the beginning as a radio address. And that was what, what was different. Same thing, I think, if you look at differences between how Eisenhower and Kennedy use television uh, and I think between how Obama and Trump have used Twitter. What about uh, policy making on social media and on new media? Is there a tension between when when presidents want to use new forms of communication to deal with the sort of nuts and bolts of being president, uh, like like making policy on foreign or domestic issues? Yeah, I think it's a very tricky new ground that he's on. You know, when John F. Kennedy first proposed having live televised press conferences. There was a lot of resistance. Uh, This was the height of the Cold War, and there was a fear that one wrong statement, one false move, you know, you could trigger an international incident. It's not just the voters who are watching. It's the whole world. Kennedy felt confident enough in his thoughtfulness and poise or whatever it may have been, to go ahead with it. And he he didn't, in fact, trigger international incidents. But it it is a real concern. A lot of people often say, and I think President Obama approached Twitter this way, his staff did at least, that there is a certain dignity and gravitas to the office that they don't want to compromise with the use of social media. Trump doesn't seem to have many concerns about that. He It sounds like he expects to use social media as president the same way that he's been using it up until this point. This criticism that maybe he isn't uh, communicating in a presidential way, is that something that you've heard before with prior presidents? Well, absolutely. And uh, it sometimes has been a real problem. And when Carter became president, he did certain things like getting rid of the presidential yacht. He stopped playing Hail to the Chief. 
um, a number of things to kind of strip away some of the mystique that he felt at that moment in our history didn't play well. It, it removed the president from the public and made presidents seem aloof, indifferent, out of touch, and he wanted to be a man of the people. The problem was he found that at a certain point, he no longer commanded the authority of the presidency, that you need some of those trappings, some of the regalia even, to have the mystique and you know the dignity and the gravitas that uh, is an important part of exercising power and influence. And so I think the more we want to see the president as one of us, as someone who doesn't put on airs, as someone who's simple, the harder it can also be for that president to inhabit that office of, with statesmanlike dignity and, and gravitas. And I think Trump is going to find himself in that difficult position. So we just heard David there talking about what he called statesmanlike dignity and gravitas. One question that comes to mind is, do you think that President Trump has a desire to convey that? And how much of this is undermined by the fact that Twitter itself is not exactly a very formal means of communication? I mean, the basic interaction on there is something called a tweet, right? Well, the word tweet sounds trivial, even in this context when it's being used by the president of the United States. But one thing to remember is that Americans have always wanted their presidents to be more like them and to be more understandable. So I think Trump is really feeding into that instinct by using Twitter in the way that he does. But his staffers are aware that it can be both a positive and a negative. It's great when he uses it to push out their message, but they don't want him to get distracted, as he often does, by tweeting about grudges that he holds against other people. Yeah, I know we've heard reports that at times his staff has taken his Twitter actually away from him. There are two dynamics on Trump's Twitter account in his presidency and during the campaign. Some of the tweets are from him, usually the more interesting ones, and they are a direct reflection of his thoughts. And others are from his staff, and they're usually a little bit more generic. Right. So we know President Obama was obviously the the very first president to use Twitter to communicate directly with the public. Did he ever tweet out any of his own thoughts? So we talked to some of the people who have worked on digital strategies for other candidates' campaigns, like Laura Olin, who worked on former President Obama's 2012 campaign. Laura gave us some great insights on the workflow of social media for the campaign. But something she says her team pioneered is having tweets that were written by Barack Obama signed with the initials B.O. Well, sort of. Here's Laura. I think we were one of the first accounts that kind of started the convention of, you know, like tweet signs, um, BO are from the president. So um, I'm really sorry to report that those aren't actually written by the president. Um, they were actually um, my team drafting them. And then uh, they got signed up to um, the, the White House. Okay, so I'll admit I'm not totally surprised by this, but there's a part of me that just wanted to believe it wasn't a political charade. I know. It's been reported that former President Obama said he wants to stay quiet for a while, so I'm not sure we can expect any real Obama tweets anytime soon. In comparison, it basically sounds like the Obama digital office ran similarly to the way a lot of other politicians' offices run, where tweets get sent through an approval process and they're essentially written by the staffers. And as you can imagine, President Trump 
doesn't conform to this. His tweets are easily identifiable because they're more direct and conversational. He's usually responding to things that concern him, worry him, or anger him. And we've seen that trend continue into the Trump White House. To figure out more, we went to Dave Robinson, a data scientist who runs a blog called Variance Explained. You might remember that Dave is the researcher who analyzed Trump's tweets during the campaign and discovered the tweets sent out by an Android device were from candidate Trump, and those sent out by an iPhone were from his staff. It's important to note here that since he conducted his research over the summer, the Twitter habits of the president and his device have changed. A couple of differences are that only the iPhone ever tweets pictures or hashtags. But we can also see a big difference in content. The Android tends to use much angrier words, more likely to use a word like crazy or bad, while the iPhone would often be more neutral or positive terms. For example, discussions of a recent rally or a, or a call to, for fundraising. There's so many differences between him and most other presidential candidates we've ever seen. One of them is that he writes, even during the campaign, when his campaign was when his campaign was tweeting most, he still wrote about half of his own tweets, which is much more than Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama did. And another real difference between him and the and other candidates such as Clinton in terms of their real tweets are that Clinton only wrote about 5% of her own tweets, but ones about national tragedies were usually written by her herself. Trump's appeal is very different from politicians because he wasn't running as a politician, he was running as a celebrity. And if you look at celebrities who tweet for for themselves as opposed to having managers who tweet for them, you can see a lot of similar characteristics. They often say outrageous things for the sake of getting attention, and it can work very well. Donald Trump and Kanye West have a lot in common, and both have used that to make a, have a really large media personality and presence. I think it's really interesting for us to look at how something like celebrity culture has contributed to the rise of Trump. And, you know, you can think of celebrities like Kim Kardashian or Ashton Kutcher, for example, who really grew their own fame by taking the reins of their social media accounts back into their own hands rather than going through, like, traditionally going through publicists or something like that, where they may have done that in the past. The sense of authenticity, if you will, seems to really resonate with audiences, at least on the Internet. It really is a window into who Donald Trump is and what he really believes. And that's very rare for politicians. Trump is also someone who views himself as a celebrity as well. He had a successful television show, The Apprentice. And as a businessman, he's also always focused on marketing. And is in essence, the kind of thing that someone like Kim Kardashian and Kanye West are doing on social media is marketing. And I think that's how Trump approaches Twitter, even as president. But when someone like a celebrity tweets, it's very different than when the president of the United States tweets something. The president's tweets are are naturally going to have a much more significant impact. I know The Post has even reported in the past that Corey Lewandowski, who, who is Trump's former campaign manager, called Twitter a very, very powerful weapon for Donald Trump. The full quote is here. Donald Trump's Twitter account is the greatest bully pulpit that has ever existed. In 140 characters, he can change the direction of a Fortune 100 company, he can notify world leaders, and he can also notify government agencies that business as usual is over. So that's a pretty powerful statement. Abby, do you think other political players would share similar thoughts? 
According to Vincent Harris, who is the chief digital strategist for Senator Rand Paul's presidential campaign, this sort of thing can really make a difference. And he would know because Rand Paul ran against Donald Trump and saw firsthand. Here we have a president who can log into his Twitter account and see notifications of American citizens and people all across the entire world talking to him directly. I mean, think about how far that that this has come in just a, a, a decade here. I mean, we're probably the closest thing with President Trump and his Twitter account to a direct democracy than back in the, you know, Grecian days. I mean, this is just really a, a huge fundamental change in how communications is going at the presidential level. Right. Now, the other side of me is the side that, you know, is maybe concerned about policy and about foreign affairs. I spent time working for Prime Minister Netanyahu in um, Israel, and, you know, very sensitive issues of foreign policy, let's say. And, you know, I mean, I was working on the Prime Minister's Twitter account. Um, you know, I was scared before I ever pressed tweet there. And, you know, oftentimes there was you know, many, many people who are approving things there before that went out and the prime minister would be tweeting and then the campaign would be tweeting. So, um, you know, some of these issues are very nuanced. Some of them, there's experts for reasons and there are there's, you know, decades and decades or centuries of history and of alliances, and that can all be wiped away potentially in 140 characters in the press of a single button. So in that sense, it it could be scary. That's a really interesting point. You talked about this being sort of close to direct democracy. But, you know, social media is just another tool of communication, and every president tries to use the latest and greatest to kind of get their message out there. So is Trump just kind of going to the full intent of this new medium and using it the way that it is best used? Or is he going out on a limb and maybe going a little too far, as some of his critics, I think, would say? President Trump is agenda setting with every tweet that he puts out. Every tweet and every thought that he's putting out on the internet is essentially determining what the news cycle looks like. Right. We've already seen some of that pressure being exerted when it comes to job creation. And he's been going after individual businesses um, as a conservative and a Republican. I mean, how do you feel about whether that has been successful? And, and is that something that can ultimately be in the the interest of the American people. There's a bit of it that is kind of utilitarian at this point. He's trying to accomplish something when it comes to pressuring com companies to stay here in the United States. When President Trump uses Twitter like he did with Carrier in Indiana, like he's doing with um, Bayer and some of these other companies, I think that he's using Twitter in a very positive way um, to promote his agenda and save American jobs. And I think that whereas before, a lot of times there was, you know, a lot of discussions between staffs of presidents and these companies and there were boards and there were studies and things took months. Well, now President Trump is saying, to hell with all that. Let's tweet it out and see if we can accelerate and speed up this entire process. Carrier, either stay in America or you don't, but I might shame you publicly on Twitter. Boeing, if you're spending too much money on 
Air Force One, I'm going to shame you and put pressure on you on my Twitter account if you decide to charge the American people all this money. Do you foresee President Trump maybe relinquishing some of the control over the tweets that he puts out so that other people on his team can do some of the work for him? Or do you see him just continuing on as he has been, just, you know, dictating his his tweets and, and doing it his own way? I think that the authenticity of President Trump is... This sort of if if I think it, I'm going to tweet it. If it's something that I feel the American people need to know, I'm not going to wait for a press release or to run it through my communications director or to even run it through my specialized staff and secretaries of whatever department. I'm just going to put it out for the world to see. And I think, you know, more often than not, that is positive for democracy and for America and for transparency and for helping push through President Trump's agenda. I do think that that it's going to be very interesting to get into some of these foreign policy issues where a tweet could have very serious impacts abroad where uh, you know whether on you know trade, whether on war, whether on you know, I mean, militarization. There, there is a lot of potential effects based on what President Trump tweets. So we heard Vincent there talk a little bit about the possible consequences that a presidential tweet from Donald Trump can have. And we've all seen this happen in real time, right? He tweets something controversial or antagonistic. Sometimes he even does it to distract from something else. What are the, some of the real life consequences or in some cases the benefits that we've seen come as a result of a Trump tweet? In the last few weeks, we've seen Trump use Twitter to push companies to do things, specifically create jobs. He's pressured General Motors to keep jobs in the United States. He's also pressured big federal defense contractors like Boeing and Lockheed Martin to reduce the cost of federal contracts. And some of the things have been a great use of Twitter, but they can also have some problems. For example, Trump didn't exactly have his facts right on General Motors. He accused them of making the Chevy Cruze in Mexico. Mexico, when in fact, the vast majority of those cars are made and sold in the United States, in Ohio. And the political pressure on Lockheed Martin and Boeing may not materialize quite so easily, because there's still a massive federal bureaucracy that controls things like contracting. At the same time, the companies did agree to lower the cost of things like the F-35 uh, fighter jet and also Air Force One planes that will be coming into uh, use in the next decade. He's also gotten some criticism for directing Americans to patronize L.L. Bean, which is a company that is owned by one of his top donors. Along those same lines, can you just speak a little bit about what it's like to be a journalist right now, you know, facing the challenge of deciding when to cover a particular tweet and how seriously to cover it? Well, because the tweets that are sent out from Donald Trump's Twitter account are really sent by him, we have to pay attention to all of it. That doesn't mean the journalists who cover them are all covering them in the same way, but we do have to take them seriously. His tweet can trigger reactions on the Hill and around the world. And when he says something that pertains to new actions uh, that the White House or the federal government might take, that's big news. 
And are there any laws that govern whether or not Trump can tweet? There are definitely no laws that would prevent the president from tweeting. A law like that would be unconstitutional, first because of the First Amendment that allows the government to control its own speech. One law that does exist is the Presidential Records Act, which essentially mandates that all presidential records are preserved. This is obviously complicated in the digital era, and a lot of people have raised questions about whether Trump has violated that law by deleting a tweet, something that he has done due to some typos and spelling errors since becoming president. So questions like, can a president block you on Twitter? can and should the people making decisions at Twitter step in, those aren't exactly dictated by law. Um, And especially because Twitter is a private company, they can decide to do whatever they want. But the other thing to remember here is that presidents can make their own custom, essentially. And I think that's what Donald Trump is doing. He's changed the game for presidents to come. And the way that he uses Twitter is uh, in defiance of some of the norms of the past. And I think that that will have lasting consequences for the people who inhabit that office in the future. They will have more of an expectation of openness in terms of whether the communications that are being made in the president's name are really reflective of what they think and feel. So one question I actually have is, he says he dislikes tweeting. He's gone on the record to say that he really doesn't like it, but he's going to continue to do it until the media treats him fairly. And America, in recent polls, have said that they dislike his tweets. They want him to stop tweeting. So where does this end? Well, I don't think it does end. I think Donald Trump may dislike tweeting, but he likes the way that it allows him to control the narrative. Mm -hmm. He's able to communicate directly to Americans. He's able to get his point of view out there instantaneously and without the filter of his aides. And what's more important is that he controls what everybody else in the political ecosystem, the media, other politicians, he controls what they talk about. And so in that respect, it's an incredibly powerful tool. And it's one that he's been insistent upon using directly and not allowing the filter of aides and the bureaucracy of the federal government stop him from doing what he wants. Yeah. I mean, how much of that personality from Twitter have we actually seen reflected in these new presidential means of communication? New for him, I mean. Can we say that Spicer's controversial White House press briefings have kind of been an extension of Trump's Twitter personality in a way? I think that's probably a a fair comparison. One of the things that his aides have talked about is the way in which Trump communicates on Twitter, 140 characters, mirrors a little bit how they communicate with him. He likes them to talk to him in short and direct bursts. Uh, He wants them to make very clear arguments, to be direct. And so Trump has has taken his management style and he's transferred it onto social media. And we've seen that reflected in the way that his aides speak uh, to him and in the way that they speak to the public. He's also uh, known for using exclamation marks and all caps letters when writing tweets. I think you can, it's safe to say (laughs) that Sean Spicer's appearance in the press briefing is essentially an all caps version (laughs) of what he's saying. Uh, It's delivered in a way that is very true to Donald Trump's personality. Well, Abby, we've made it to this point, and I propose this last question to you. Can he do this? Can he tweet policy and reactions to major news events? Can he bypass traditional media? Essentially, can he continue to behave like Trump the candidate on Twitter now that he's officially president? 
Well, legally, yes. Uh, is it the best idea? I don't know. I think Donald Trump is going to continue to use Twitter exactly the way that he has before. Um, he's proven that in just his first week in office. The question will really be, how much is he going to do on Twitter? Is he going to do foreign policy on Twitter? And will his aides continue to allow him full access to his device, even if it means that they lose a little bit of control over their message and their mission over the next four years? Abby, thank you so much for being here. You can follow Abby Phillip on Twitter at Abby D. Phillip and me, Allison Michaels, at Allison Mikes. Let us know what you thought of this episode and if you have suggestions for future episodes. If you liked it, please share it. Please tell a friend, review it on iTunes, and make sure you subscribe to get a new episode every Friday. Next week, we'll be talking with White House reporter Jenna Johnson about how Trump will divide his time between Washington, New York, and his Mar-a-Lago resort in Florida. You won't want to miss it. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the great Carol Alderman, with additional reporting from Tanya Sachinsky and design direction from Rachel Orr. Our logo illustration is the work of Loren Boglio. And an extra thanks goes out to Emily Chow for getting our landing page off the ground. Thanks, guys. <laughs>